Before I get started, I felt like it has nothing to do with my message. It could do with my message, but I felt like the Lord told me during worship to not start by opening up my message with what I have. So what he was telling me was to take a minute and look at every single person here. For me to sit here and look every person here in the eye and say that God sees you. That he sees you. And that you are significant. And he loves you. He adores you. He values you so much. It's beyond our comprehension. And I just want to look at every single one of you and tell you that today. That you matter. What you do matters. And it matters to him. And in Psalm 139, it says that he thinks of you so much. And every thought that he, that he has of you is like a grain of sand. And all those grains of sand that fill this earth is not even close to how much he thinks of you. Think of that. That a little piece, a grain of sand, he thinks of you. That is his thought of you. And he thinks of you so much that it's, that'll fill the whole earth. You are significant. You matter to God. He loves you so much. I feel like that's what he wanted me to start with. I just wanted to throw that out there. And I love you guys. I love each and every one of you. God has gifted me with the Father's heart, and I love each and every one of you the way that Father God loves you. I see you. You are significant. You matter. Okay. Now that's out of the way. Uh, It was was eating me up. (laughs) So, So I had to start with that. So today, I'm going to talk about the fear of God, and I'm just going to jump right into it. So in Proverbs 1.7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 8.13, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Matthew 10.28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Psalms 33, 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. Proverbs 14, 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Turning a person from the snares of death. I can't get stuck on that one. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Luke 1, 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. Psalms 34 9 says, Fear the Lord, you, his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. And Psalms 1 it says, Praise the Lord, blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Psalms 19 9 says, Fear the Lord, 
The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. And Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, this is Paul speaking, but now much more in the absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I could keep reading scripture after scripture after scripture where it says, fear the Lord. And the translation that I like the most in my NIV Bible right here, there's over a hundred times where it says, fear the Lord. And if you fear the Lord, these are the benefits from it. Hmm. That seems like it's important, right? But why don't we hear about it? Why don't we talk about it? Because if you grew up like me, to fear God, how I was discipled as a kid was I needed to be scared of God. That to be afraid and scared of him. And that's not God's heart posture to his, for his sons and daughters and to his sons and daughters. His heart posture, when you hear all these scriptures, to fear the Lord, that means to be terrified, to be away from him, to be apart from him, not scared of his presence. So, I feel like the Lord's took me on a, taken me on a journey recently in the past year to rewire, to reprogram mindsets that I thought I knew God and how God worked and how it all, but he's taken me on this journey. So, this mindset is one that has to be broken. And there's two different types, like I talked about earlier. To be scared of God is an unhealthy fear, but to be terrified to be away from him is holy fear. Holy fear. In an unhealthy fear of God mindset, you have something to hide from him. While those who have holy fear of God have nothing to hide The fear of God doesn't drive us from his presence. It actually does the opposite. The holy fear of God draws us closer to him. Exodus 20.20, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. It seems like Moses is talking out of both sides of his mouth, right? Like, you shouldn't be scared, but you should should be afraid. But this is what he's talking about. Holy fear. Because we're not scared of God. Can he kill us? Can he swoop down and press us down and kill us? Absolutely, if he chose to do that. But that is not his heart. That is not his heart posture. He longs for intimate relationship with us. I want to give you guys an example. My relationship with my wife, Melissa. Do I love her? You better believe it. Do I fear her? You better believe it. But that fear isn't because I'm scared that she is going to hurt me or kill me. 
sometimes. <laughs> that fear is a holy fear. That if I do anything to screw up my relationship with her, if I do anything to hurt her, that intimacy that we have will be broken. That trust will be torn to shreds and possibly unrepairable. Does this fear drive me from her or does it draw me closer to her? It draws me closer. My love for her grows deeper and deeper and deeper over the years. We've been married for 20 years this year. I know I don't look that old. (laughs) But we've been married for 20 years and we've been together for 23. And I feel like I love her more and more and more every year. That's because I fear her. (laughs) Because I'm terrified to be without her. So this is what Moses is saying. To not be scared of God, but be terrified to be apart from God. For us to fully grasp the holy fear of God is no different than for us to fully grasp the love of God. And, and God's radically baptized me in his love. And I love you guys like I started the sermon. I, this might be why God told me to say this in the beginning. I don't know. But I can stand up here and preach a sermon about how much God loves you. How much he values you. How much he wants to have an intimate relationship. That's easy. That just comes easy. Because love is an easy topic to talk about. But I still can't even scratch the surface to what that means. The meaning of that of how much God loves you. That's the same way how I feel trying to preach one sermon on the fear of God. It is impossible for me to teach one sermon. I could preach a hundred sermons, and we still couldn't fully grasp how deep this is, how wide that this topic is. But I'm going to try to do it. I feel like we're going to have we're going to be spending eternity with God, and he still will be revealing a new aspect, a new character of himself to us. And my minuscule life here, my, if I live to be 100, will not even come close for me to fully grasp that. So, but I want to try that. So during this journey of reprogramming my mindset, rewiring my mindset, and I'll go into that more later, about the fear of God, the Holy Spirit sent me a gift, and his name was John Brevere. <laughs> and it was with his book, The Awe of God. And this book is a 42-chapter, 42 42-day 42 devotional that he breaks down the awe of God. And it's an amazing resource, and it's really helped me to to preach this sermon, but it's really helped me with what God's been taking me through. And if you want to know more about this, the fear of God, after my sermon, I highly recommend it. It is amazing. So I just want to break down a little bit of the descriptions that he says in his book of what the fear of God is. To fear God is to reverence and be in complete awe of him. To fear God is to hallow him, to respect greatly. To fear God is to esteem, respect, honor, venerate, and adore him above anyone or anything else. 
When we fear God, we take on his heart, we love what he loves, and we hate what he hates. What is important to him becomes important to us. What is not important to him becomes not as important to us. To fear God is to tremble before him in wonder and awe. It is to give his word and presence our full attention. So I want to break down that just a little bit. I want to talk about that one a little bit. So if Joe Burrow walked in this church, we're from Cincinnati, if he walked up here and got on this stage, he would have everybody's full attention. Everybody would be hanging off every word he said. We'd be like, oh, it's Joe Burrow. We wouldn't be scrolling on Facebook. We wouldn't be thinking about what we're going to eat after we leave here. We wouldn't be thinking about the Bengals game. Like, we'd be might be thinking, why is Joe Burrow here? But we wouldn't be thinking that. We would be like, what does he got to say? What is he going to do? I want to talk to him after church. I want to talk to him. I want to, I want to meet him. We would even be like, I'll, do my, I'll donate my calf for you. Like, here, here you can have it. I don't even know how the, the people were saying that, but I don't even know how that would even work. People were like, stop saying that. It don't work that way. <laughs> now, if Father God, if Daddy, the king of the universe, walked in this room and stood on this stage, would he get that same attention? Would he? That's what he does every week. And he doesn't get that attention. But we love God. We love him. But we don't fear him. Just think about that for a minute. To fear God is to give him his praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and worship he deserves. To fear God is to obey him. To fear God is to abstain from any form of complaining, murmuring, or grumbling. The fear of the Lord shapes our intentions, thoughts, words, and actions. To fear God is to hate sin. To fear God is to hate injustice. To fear God is to depart from evil in every sense, thought, word, and action. It is to refrain from speaking deceitfully. To fear God is to walk in authentic humility before God and mankind. To fear God is to give him all that belongs to him. And that still doesn't even scratch the surface. That still does not describe fully what the fear of God is. So like I was talking about earlier, last year about this time, the Holy Spirit gave me a word. You have to go back to move forward. This has been the most confusing but fruitful word he has ever given me. I've been on a year-long journey, so I want to I bring you guys into a little of this, which Nate knows a lot about this story because when I was going through this, I, I would call him and we'd talk about that. So in Matthew 3, it talks about John the Baptist. And if you guys have been around me long enough, I'll start talking about John the Baptist, the Elijah spirit, Elijah, the Malachi prophecy, uh, Elijah, Elijah will return to return the hearts of the fathers to sons and daughters and the sons and daughters to the hearts of the father. And I could preach a whole message about that. I could do it right now. I feel, I feel the unction. Like, preach on that. It's like, Lord, I, I want to stay on topic. I want to stay on time. I want to... 
So, but I still want to bring you guys into some of my journey. So in Matthew seven or Matthew three and verse seven, starting there, it says, "But when he saw many of many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, "You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourself." We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So through these scriptures, the Holy Spirit told me, you think you have God figured out. He said, you have a Pharisee mindset. Talk about fear of God when I hear the Holy Spirit tell it to me. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. If anybody got it worse uh, in the New Testament, it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He did not hold back. And that's what he's telling me. He's basically rebuking me that I have a Pharisee mindset, that I think I have God figured out. So, the Holy Spirit says, you got to start all over. you got to start from scratch. He told me, it's time to cut down everything you think you know about who God is and his character and throw it in the fire. Now, with these ashes that remain, I have fertile soil to raise up a new shoot. And then he hits me with John 15, starting at verse 5. It says, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. He was whipping me into shape. (laughs) So, like I said earlier, he was telling me, I have to start over. I have to start over from scratch, a new slate. I had been a Christian for 26 years at this point. I grew up in church, but I have to start over. I have to go back. And, And then I'm like, Lord, okay, I have a Pharisee mindset. Am I like Peter talking to Jesus? Do I have to, I have to be a newborn baby? Do I need to go back into my mother's womb? Is that how far back you want me to go? It's like, no. That's not possible. It's not what we're talking about. He says to me, now when you read the scriptures, you need to work through any mindset that have the potential to hold you back from building intimacy with me. Things that you believed like fear was always a bad thing, but in reality, the fear of God is a gift from God. And it reveals what it means to live out your calling as a disciple of Christ. Most of us, in the way that I used to perceive the fear of God, was like the Old Testament times. I perceived God as a figure of wrath and judgment. Now, with this rewiring, this renewed mindset, as I read the scripture, 
of the fear of God, when I read them, in the, even in the Old Testaments, I see how God demonstrates his love and his grace. If, just, if you just take a quick glance through the scriptures in Genesis, Judges, Isaiah, Psalms, you'll find that the Old Testament is filled with passages about God's love and grace. But I also understand that you can't read through the Gospels of Revelation in the New Testament without being confronted with the reality of God's judgment and wrath as well. That is truth. I don't want you guys to get this twisted that I'm saying you have to completely forget about wrath and judgment. That fear, that is true. That is, that is an unhealthy fear, but that is still a fear because God's character is still that too. He is a good and loving father, and he will discipline. And if you are not a believer of Christ, you will be sent to hell. And hell is eternity separated from God. That is the fear of God. So, that's all truth. And God hasn't changed his character. He didn't change when Jesus came. He didn't change in the New Testament. Hebrews 13 says, he is the same yesterday and today and forever. In other words, the fear of God is not just an Old Testament concept or a New Testament concept. It's a biblical concept and one we need to thoroughly understand in order to experiencing, experience everything Father God desires for us as his children. But wrath and judgment are not Father God's heart posture toward his children. It is love and grace. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So, as I'm going through this process of going back to move forward, the Holy Spirit reminds me of a dream that I had when I was a teenager that used to haunt me. And I haven't shared this with very many people there's only Aaron, I shared this with Aaron, I shared this last night, but you guys haven't heard this yet. But I haven't shared this with very many people. Um, my wife, Melissa, at the time, my girlfriend at the time, Melissa, and she's now my wife. But it was a three-month process where I had this reoccurring dream. And I'm not a dreamer. And this is the song that I sang last night, Melissa. I'm not a dreamer. Dreamer. I'm not a dreamer. She was asking me what, what song I sang last night. I can't remember. I don't know. But this is, I'm not a dreamer. And, but when I do dream, it's, it's usually significant. And the Lord's trying to show me something. And I even knew this when I was a teenager. So I remember waking up in some cornfields. At least I think it was some cornfields. But it was in a field. And it was pitch black out. It was dark. And I grew up in the country. I grew up in the holler. I grew up in Otway, Ohio. Most people have no idea where that is. But I grew up in Otway. Not even in the town of Otway, outside of Otway. <laughs> but anyway, I grew up in the country, so that was, not, that was not something new to me to be outside in the dark. We used to play hide-and-seek with each other in the dark, in the crops. We used to do all kinds of crazy stuff when we were kids. Like, now it would terrify me if my kids do the things that I used to do. <laughs> Talk about fear of God. Anyway, um, so that was not something that was new to me. So it was very peaceful in my dream. My dreams would start out really peaceful. But in the distance, there would be this light. 
that would just draw to me. It would be it would just be like, oh, there's what's that light? And when you grow when you grow up in the holler, we're about a half a mile. I think Jamie's here. Jamie knows exactly what I'm talking about. He grew up a half a mile from me. <laughs> but you didn't usually see lights outside in the country because there's distance between the houses. So there was this light on, and it was just drawing to me. So I would get closer and closer. This would be peaceful. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go over this. And I would get there. I would see the light, and it would be a cave. And when I, would, I went into the cave, it would just draw me in. And when I went into this cave, there was this big, huge door. And there was this, that light that I was talking about was so bright. It was coming through, like, the edges of the door, like the cracks of the door. And it would be so bright. And all of a sudden, this door starts to open. And this cave is just enlightened, and it's blinding me. It's like if you went outside on a, on a summer day and just stared at the sun. It's like looking at these lights up here. It's so bright. And I would be instantly scared out of my mind. And I would take my back against this door and slam it shut. And whatever was trying to come through this door was just trying to come through this door as hard as it could. And I would take it. All of me would be trying to keep this door shut. It took all of me. And I was so scared. I can't even explain the fear that I felt. And I'm looking around this cave. It's like, is there anything here that I can prop open or prop close this door with? There's nothing. And I see a lion that's asleep in the cave. So my fear goes to, I'm dead. I'm dead. Like, this lion's going to wake up. Because I forgot to say this at the beginning, right before the door started to open, there was a big, loud noise. And I would, I would explain it as like a trumpet sound, but I can't really, that's not really what it was. It was just like something loud, like a shafar. I don't even know. I can't, I can't explain it. I would just say it's a trumpet. But a trumpet blew, and it was so loud, and that's when the door started to open. Anyway, okay. So I'm trying to hold this door shut. This, lion's trying, this lion is asleep in the corner. I'm terrified. I'm dead. I'm a dead man. And I'm doing everything I can to keep this door shut and be quiet at the same time, which is crazy to think. And then all of a sudden, this loud noise happens again, but it's even louder. It's so loud this time that it's like a concussion grenade went off in my head. I don't even know what that's like. I've seen movies. I've played video games like Call of Duty and stuff like that where it happens, and you're like, all you see is like a blinding light and your ears are ringing. It's like, that's what I'm experiencing. That was before even Call of Duty and stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> But that's what I was going through. And the whole world was shaking. The whole cave was shaking. It was like the world was being torn apart. And there was this wind that came into the cave, and it was a violent wind. And I'm like, I'm just dead. Like, I'm just this dead man. And then, so my eyes start to clear. I'm still holding this door shut with everything that's inside of me, all of my might. And I, my eyes come open, like the blinders come off. And then there's this lion is right in front of me. And it's roaring. But I can't hear it because my ears are ringing from the, the sound. But it's roaring, and it's roaring, and it's roaring. I'm holding this door shut. It's roaring. And I'm holding this door shut, and I would wake up. And as soon as I would wake up, I would be terrified and I would be repenting to God. 
I would repent because I thought I was lost and I was going to hell, but I was a Christian and I was saved, but I thought I am going to hell. Every time that fear was that I was going to wake up in hell. Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. So I didn't understand the holy fear or the love of Father God. All the experience, all the maturity that I've had so far in my life, I did not understand that. I was a teenager, and I thought God was out to get me. That at any moment, he would swoop in, and I would be dead. The unhealthy fear of God controlled my relationship with him, and the temptations from the enemy was overwhelming for me with my teenage hormones going wild. I felt like I lost my salvation every five seconds. I would cry myself to sleep every night thinking I would wake up in hell. I felt that I could never measure up. And when he would speak to me, I would respond out of that fear. I was so scared of him. I ran from him. He called me to preach when I was a teenager, and I ran from that call. In these dreams, he was calling to me, but I was scared of him. I was scared of him like the Israelites on Mount Sinai. When Moses has already spent time with God on Mount Sinai, and he's like, God's coming down in three days. You need to purify yourself. And he's so pumped. He's like, yes, it's just not me. It's not only going to be me. So they purify their system. They're all, they're like, yes, let's get it. And then God comes down with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And the whole earth is shaking and all this is going on. And they're terrified. They're so scared of God. They're like, I don't want that. Moses, you do that. You talk to God for us. We don't want a relationship with God. I'm scared, so scared of him. I don't want it. You do it. Could you imagine how Moses felt in that moment? That I have to be the only one that wants to have a relationship with God? How awesome the God of the universe, and he's showed me how he's valued me and how awesome it is, but they don't want it. Millions of Israelites didn't want it, but I, I have to speak through them. That's how I felt. I felt like those Israelites. Not like Moses. I didn't want an intimate relationship with God. I was okay with him being a distant father because I was scared of him. This mindset grieves the heart of God because the holy fear of God is, to desi- is designed to draw us closer to him. And we are blinded to the benefits of the fear of God. And, and I said this after last night, I'm only going to talk about one benefit, and there are hundreds, hundreds of benefits from the fear of God. I could preach a hundred sermons on the benefits of God, but I'm only going to, I'm going to spare you guys, I'm going to keep it on time. Only one. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to name some real quick. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. It gives foresight and clear divine direction. The fear of the Lord is how we mature in our salvation and are conformed to the image of Jesus. The fear of the Lord is clean. It produces true holiness in our lives. To abide in the fear of the Lord is to secure an eternal legacy. The fear of the Lord produces confidence, fearlessness, and security. It swallows up every other fear including the fear of man. The fear of the Lord gives us identity. It makes us productive. It empowers us to multiply. The fear of the Lord endures forever. It will never end. 
The fear of the Lord is a treasured gift from our Heavenly Father. The fear of the Lord is the starting place. The starting place for an intimate relationship with God. We become his friends and his secrets are made known to us. That right there is where I want to spend the rest of our time together, just on that one benefit. The fear of the Lord is the starting place for an intimate relationship with God. We become his friends, and his secrets are made known to us. In Psalms 25, verse 14, the New King James Version says it this way, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And then the ESV version, it says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Who do you share your most intimate secrets with? Do you share them with just an acquaintance, somebody that you just kind of know, you see them every once in a while, or your closest friends? Your deep and darkest secrets, the things that you don't want nobody else to know. Who do you share those with? I hope that you have someone. But if you don't, God is there for you. Father God is there for you. And he will supply someone for you here to step into his place. But who do you guys share your deepest and darkest secrets with? Your best friends. Your closest people. God's no different. God says, I share my secrets with my most intimate, close friends. And my intimate, close friends are those who fear me. Abraham was singled out in the scriptures because he experienced deep intimacy with God. He was labeled as God's close friend. So was Moses, many other people in scriptures, many other prophets, but I want to talk about Abraham. And I don't feel like the Lord wants me to go into the full story of Abraham. Do you guys know the story of Abraham? Most of you guys know the story of Abraham? Yeah? Or you guys want me to tell you the whole story? I can go through. (laughs) But I I want to focus on the aspect where the Lord tells Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac the promised one, the one that he's been waiting almost 100 years for, and God's made him a promise that he'll make him, out of his loins, will, be, will outnumber the stars, and he'll make his covenant with me, an, ever, an, an everlasting covenant, and his nation will be great. His descendants will be great. And he's asking him to give that up and sacrifice and give that to me. Abraham wrestles with that, but he still obeys. And he takes a three-day journey to the mountain to sacrifice his son. Can you imagine that torment of the three days where you're walking through that? You're walking through this desert, or you're walking, I don't even know what it's like, but I just imagine it's a desert to a mountain. And you're the, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I'm going to have to kill my son for three days. So they go up the mountain. Isaac's carrying his own burnt offering, his own wood, his own, it's like, and he's even asking his dad, like, where's the sacrifice? Like, where is it? And he's like, don't worry about it. And it's like, oh, okay. 
Could you imagine me and Isaac too? That'd be like, oh man, what's, what's happening here? So Abraham puts Isaac, his son, on the altar. He lifts the knife and he's ready to put the most important person or thing to death in his life because God said to do it. And as soon as the knife lifted, an angel of the Lord suddenly appears and the angel of the Lord makes the statement, Abraham, stop, because now I know that you fear God. How did the angel know that Abraham feared God? Because Abraham obeyed immediately. Abraham puts the knife down. He unites with Isaac, lifts up his eyes, and there a ram is caught in the thicket, right? And out of his heart comes the word, Jehovah Jireh, God that provides. God has not revealed, that is a new aspect, that is completely new. He has never said in the scriptures before that moment. God reveals a part of him that he's never revealed to anyone but Abraham. Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. So I feel like we're not fully getting that. (laughs) So let me put it clear. Some of you might know me as Matt the pastor or Matt the hugger. (laughs) So I, I really don't like that title because that's not me, that's God. Every time you get a hug from me, Matt inside is screaming. <laughs> and God's like, oh, you love it, you love it, you love it. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> but I love you guys because that's the Father's heart. Some of you might know me as Matt, the friend. But there is someone in here today. And she knows me as Matt, husband. She knows me as Matt, best friend. She knows me as Matt, father. She knows me as Matt, lover. Now I can say this, none of you will ever know me as Matt, lover. Hmm. That facet of my personality is only for her and only for her. (laughs) So God just revealed a facet of himself to Abraham that he's never revealed to anyone else. So when he says Jehovah Jireh, that means God that provides. That is a different aspect of himself. And you know why he revealed that to Abraham? Because he was his closest friend. So, to say that I'm a friend is an easy statement, right? To say that I'm an easy, as I say, I'm a friend of God because of Jesus, right? I'm saved. So that means that all of us Christians have that same, we have that same relationship that Abraham does with God, right? No. There are thousands of people who followed Jesus during his ministry, yet did not trust them because of what was in their hearts. I know that's a hard word. I know it is. John 2, 24 through 25, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. But at the Last Supper, Jesus initiated a deeper level of intimacy 
with the 11 men who had proven themselves to be trustworthy. It was, it was to them that he said in John 15, starting in verse 13, greater love has no one than this to lay one's, one's life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I, everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And I don't want you guys to miss this. It is possible to reach a level of intimacy with Father God in which he trusts you and calls you his friend. But attaining that level of intimacy is not automatic. You must grow into such a relationship through the holy fear of God. One of the descriptions of the holy fear, like I said earlier, is one, we fear God, we take on his heart. We love what he loves and we hate what he hates. What is important to him becomes important to us. What is not important to him becomes not important to us. Are you guys getting it? When we get to that level of intimacy with the Father God, he trusts us with his heart. Fully trusts us with his heart. Jesus states to all of us, you are my friends if, if. We sing songs, preach sermons, and speak casually about Jesus being our friend. However, we rarely finish his statement. The word if is a condition. It's not automatic. Even if we believe in him, what is the condition of friendship? You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. That's what he said. So you do whatever I command you. And you know what the commandments are in this context? The commandment in this context is to love. And then he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And this is not the Ten Commandments. This is not the 613 commands in the Old Testament. This is what he said, Jesus said. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, Any and greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So what Jesus is saying here, if you do whatever I command, if you do whatever I command, if you love as I loved you, that means laying down your life for one another, then you'll be my friend. That's hard. That's hard for me to understand, but I want us to understand this. That's why he's saying here, and I'm going to break it down even more. He says, greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends if you lay down your life for one another. So what Jesus is saying is, you love one another as I loved you. You'll be my friend. And my friends do what I do. They lay down their lives for one another. So what is Jesus saying? My 
friends, do what I did. And what did Jesus do? What ultimately did Jesus do? He laid down his life for us. In Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus also says these words on the Sermon on the Mount. Starting in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I've heard that scripture my entire life. And the only way that I read through those was with the lens of me being scared of him. I believe Jesus is not only saying this is to, he's not just saying this to to scare Christians to always fear the judgment of hell. It is this reality. Yes, God's judgment is clear. If you do not accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will spend eternity apart from him in hell. But I believe he is also saying, I never knew you as a friend. I never intimately knew you. I hear these words from from even I've said these words. It's like, Lord, I love you, but I loved you. I loved you. And I hear him saying, but you didn't fear me. His heart grieves for intimacy, church. It grieves for intimacy for friendship. Father God is a good and loving father, just like I am with my four boys. I will always be their father. That will never change. That will never change. I will always be their father. But I also want to have an intimate, close relationship with them, a friendship with them when they're older. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm their father. I still will be that. But I want a friendship with them. The Lord gave me this last night, and I just feel like I to share this again. So when we love what God loves and hate what he hates, I think of it this way. With my son, Parker, who's back here doing slides, he loves the Cincinnati Reds right now. He loves baseball, and he'll watch a whole nine-inning game. And I like baseball, but watching nine innings of baseball is tough. But when I'm watching it with him, I enjoy it. I love it because he loves it. I could watch a whole nine innings with him and watch the 150 games that they play. I think we watched 90 of them this year. (laughs) I could watch every game. But when I turn it on when he's not home, I don't enjoy it. I'm like, I miss my son. I miss my friend, and that's how God is with us. He misses us. He wants that close friendship where he wants us to, he wants, he loves what we love, and he hates what we hate too when we have that close relationship with him. It's not just a one-way street. It's a two-way street. It gives him so much joy when we are have when we do something that we enjoy. So friendship, friendship, friendship. 
in Matthew 7. I'll keep continue reading in that, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, that house, and it fell with a great crash. The foundation of this house, the foundation of my house and my relationship and our relationship with God, with Father God, is to be laid with the holy fear of God. In Psalms 127, verse 1 through 2, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. A foundation built with nothing hidden. Nothing hidden. I just just told the Lord as I'm going through this journey, I'm done playing hide and seek with him. I'm done hiding things from him because I cannot, we cannot hide anything from God. And if we think we can, we're fooling ourselves. We cannot. And he's not going to seek it out. If we're waiting for him to come and find us, he's waiting. That's one thing he keeps telling I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Because you have to take that first step. Hmm. I'm done being scared of him. I'm terrified to be apart from him. Salvation is a free gift. It was paid for on the cross by Jesus. But friendship, friendship with God is built in an intimate relationship with God. I want to continue in the legacy that was built by my grandfather and by my dad. And at the end of my time here on earth and my race is run, I want to be confident that I finished well because my family and my church family, my people knew me as a friend of God. And my family will be blessed because I feared God. And Psalm 128 says, blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperities will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. That is the blessing I stand on. That is the foundation that my house will be built on. So I want to end with an invitation And if the Holy Spirit 
nudged you with anything that I said tonight, or you're feeling convicted, or you're feeling like, man, I love God. I love God so much, and I get it. I love God. I can't even explain it. I love him so much, but I am scared of him. I don't have holy fear. I'm just going to ask anyone here to stand up if you feel that, because I want to pray over you. If you feel that stirring inside of you that I don't fully, I'm not fully walking in the holy fear of God. I'm just going to ask you guys to stand up. If anything resonated with you, just stand up. And I'm going to give a few seconds for everybody to stand up. Don't be ashamed. This is not something to be ashamed. I'm standing up here because I need this. I'm preaching it, but I also need it. I need it. I need it every day. Even if you think, I love Jesus, but I want a closer, intimate relationship with you, with Jesus, with Father God, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Me, personally, I lack the holy fear of God. I have it, but I still lack in it. And he has spoken to my heart, and he has asked me to repent for my lack of holy fear. And if you feel that way, if you feel like God's saying for you to repent, I just want to lead you guys in a prayer of repentance. This is not for just you guys. This is for me. This is for me as well. Father God loves repentance. Repentance means that you have a change of heart and a change of mind and have turned back to his ways. You've turned back to God. Repentance gets a bad rap, but God loves it. He loves it. He loves it when we repent. And I know that it's been prophesied, and I've said it, and I prophesied it here, that we're in a season of repentance And I feel like we're coming out of that. And we're coming into a season of resurrection. Of resurrection. But it just doesn't take me to repent. It doesn't take Aaron to come up here and repent. It takes all of us people to repent. For true revival to come, it takes repentance. Asbury started with one person repenting. One person All revivals start with one person's yes, one person's repentance. And I just want to pray over you guys. And if you guys want to repeat after me, Aaron did a prayer of repentance earlier for salvation, and I'm not going to go into that. So, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, and I bring all your sons and daughters in this room to the foot of the cross right now. I want to ask everyone to repeat after me. Father, forgive me for my lack of holy fear. Help me to live for you the rest of my life. The legacy that I will live in this life 
will be that of a friend of God. And the foundation of my house will be built with the fear of God. Now, I want to bless you guys. Father God, I bless your sons and daughters tonight. In the name of your son, Jesus, everyone standing, everyone in here tonight, they are hungry and thirsty to know you more intimately. You said in your word that if you asked for the Holy Spirit, you would receive. So I ask that you baptize and fill my brothers and sisters afresh today with your spirit of holy fear. May your spirit of wisdom come upon them. May your spirit of knowledge, your spirit of understanding, your spirit of might, your spirit of counsel, and most of all, your spirit of holy fear come upon their life now. In the name of our Lord Jesus, may he protect you and guide you as you leave here today. May he strengthen you in this journey. May he teach you and may he promise May his promises be established in your life and in your family forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I feel like the Lord is, he, he gave me this word last year that there's a reformation coming and the next move of God will be with his love. But now he's saying it's coming with my fear. The next move of God will be with love and fear. The fear of God. Because when the fear of God and the love of God come together, that's what Jesus looked like. That's what Jesus did on this earth. He laid down his life for us. I don't know why the Lord wanted me to share that with you right now, but he just said say it, so I said it. And when he usually gives me a word, just like you have to go back to move forward, and I said this last night, I will steward that word. I will pound it into the ground until nothing remains of it. Until he's completely done with that word, it will not go away. Until he is finished with it. Because these words are not for me. I get the benefits from it. Yeah, that's awesome. But these are his words for his people and what he's doing on this earth because he wants heaven to come down to earth. So when the Lord gives you a word and you hear him, steward that word. It could be like, I thought that word was crazy. You have to go back to move forward. I'm like, Lord, that's, what does that mean? I'm a year later. I'm still trying to figure it out. Each one of us when God speaks to you, the creator of the universe is speaking to you. He is giving you a word. He is talking to you. And you have to listen. And you have to do what it says. Because if you don't, you don't get the benefits.